Tonight, I want to continue last week's, but dig it out a little deeper so we don't have to rush through it. And I would like to say this to you. In all of my studies about revivals and throughout history, those that happened in the early 1900s, those that happened in the 19, late 60s, early 70s, the Jesus movement, the charismatic renewal that swept across our nation in the 70s and 80s, I have never studied a revival that was not birthed by prayer. I would love to say that it's on a wing of Jesus just doing it whenever He wants, but every revival that I've studied, at least that I've looked into, they all came out of a house of God that birthed itself in prayer and birthed out a move of what we may term revival, a move of God in a specific location, God doing wonders and signs and miracles and things outside of human wisdom taking place, took place because people prayed. And I know a lot of times it's easy for our prayers to become introverted, our prayer times to be about us and what's going on in our personal lives and in our families, but revival is an outward movement of us beseeching God for our city, for our town, for those that don't know Him, to move it forward. And that is the reason for the shift on Wednesday night from just teaching an hour, praying and going home, is to put a little faith in the room, talk about the revival, and then the expectations God has put on us. And then Michael will come up and we will just birth it out with worship and prayer, bathe this place in prayer, and believe that as we do bathe it in prayer and worship, that God will allow us to accomplish His purposes on the corner and that we can hold our generation here for what He wants out of us. Let's jump into it. You've seen this two weeks in a row, but here's our definition of revival. It's God's expectation of position placed upon those who belong to Him. I've spent two weeks talking about this, that it really is God pushing us into a position. When we think revival... We need to think that God is moving me from my own wisdom and into His wisdom. Here it is in the thought. Revival is a repositioning of human wisdom under the authority of God's wisdom. That means that there will be essence of revival that seem foolish because it's the wisdom of God working in a place. In almost every place you see revival break out, you can see things that look a little fleshly, like why are people slain in the Spirit perhaps, or... Or why is there a special anointing in the room when we quote or saying we're having times of revival? Because often, if not always, revival is a repositioning coming under what does God want? What does He want to do? What does He want to accomplish and coming under the authority of His wisdom? Here's what we've talked about the last week, that God in the positioning of people for revival, where does He position them? And in the New Testament, we see that that positioning of God, and it's not changed for 2,000 years, is the church. That God positions people in the church, just as He did in the Garden of Eden to position Adam and Eve, just as He did with Noah's family to position them in the ark, just as He did with Abraham to say, go to this land, because this boundary of land is where I'm going to position my people. We call it the promised land. Just as He did to Joseph and Mary, to fulfill the positioning of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem 
God is always about positioning people up under His authority and what He sees. So when we pray for revival, it's not God do this for me. It's more me saying, God, what do you want out of me? What, do you, what are you requiring of me? What do you? I made a joke last week of revival's fun to pray until we say, what does it require of me? And we say, well, it requires more of your time. It requires more of your effort. It requires more of your giving because we cannot accomplish what God wants to do without it requiring more out of us. And I said this last week that it becomes difficult to have revival because many of God's people aren't ready for that higher call. We're not, we're, we don't have our schedules clean enough to be able to serve multiple nights. We don't have the energy. Um, someone said to me last week, they said, it's so frustrating, this generation. And I said, well, why is it frustrating to you? They were a younger person. They said, it's frustrating because I see a generation where parents uh, don't, quote, make their kids come to church. The kids can just come if they want, stay home if they want. There's no essence or hunger or burning to have their family in the house of God. It's just left up to if we've got time, if we've got effort. And I understand that. I can understand the, a younger generation saying, where's the hunger for the house of God? Where's that yearning that if the doors are open, I'm going to be there? But we would have to ask the more difficult question rather than a young person asking that of a generation, we would have to ask it of ourselves. If revival broke out tonight and things just started happening and people start flooding in the door, would we be willing to clear our calendar and go, well, we're coming back tomorrow or we're coming back Friday? Because if we come back tomorrow and we come back Friday, now we have football, we have cheer, we have weddings, we have picnics, we have sports, we have life, we have homework. We, and so life, in the strangest of ways, we can blame a lot on the devil, like the, what, what's going on in our world. We can say, well, if God wants to, he will. But what does Jesus say? I would love to do it, but I need workers. I need workers for the harvest. If you're going to pray anything, Jesus said, he said you need to pray for workers. So obviously even in Jesus' mind, the issue is not sinful behavior. The issue is worship. The issue is not a woke generation. The issue is workers. And I think I understand why. Maybe Jesus knew that we would get inundated on life and inundated by the things. So rather than church being the, the foundation of my life, and everything revolving around church. And I'll teach you why I believe this. But my life revolving around this planting into the body of Christ, whereas now today, uh, the body of Christ is an optional thing. It's just something that's on a calendar that you can check off on Wednesday or Sunday I go. But the way God sees it, it wasn't a Sunday thing or a Wednesday night thing. It was a ongoing 24-7, you are part of a body. And you are in the body of Christ and that does meet in a gathering. Here's what we looked at. We saw that typically when we say revival, what we mean by that is the church is filled with people and there's people slain in the Spirit, encountering God, encountering His life. But we ended last week with this thought, that revival is people coming into the church to be equipped to be trained, to go back out into their 50 feet and to win people so that we would say that revival is the doorway of lost, broken, hopeless 
non-born-again people coming into the body. They're coming into this planting. They're being transferred into this family. And then in here, they become discipled. In here, they know more of his kingdom, but to be thrust back out. My opinion is, I don't see a problem in the yellow with the world. They're doing a doggone good job being worldly. I see a lot of, we've got this down pat religion-wise. We can do it better than anybody. Our little hour on Sunday. It's this revolving door of saved people going to get lost people, born-again people going to talk to non-born-again people. And it's the cycle of this that I think we're lacking and it's that cycle that stirs revival to begin to happen as they see the life of God coming. That's where we left off last week. Let's go back to what Jesus said. Matthew 16. Jesus said to Peter, You are Peter, which means this rock, and upon this rock, here's a comment from last week, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And the one thing we said about that is this building of the church was not a human idea. You have to take the human element idea out of it. We would have never thought of this thing called the local church, lumping all kind of people into one gathering, all kind of cultures, all kind of ways of thinking, all different colors, all different races, put in a big room, shake that bag up and call them a body. It would not have been a human thing. So it came from the mind of Jesus and we're going to look at this next week. The powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus himself, obviously in this statement, has lent himself that the church is more than just an organization. It's more than just a Sunday gathering. It is something that literally should go out. And I'll go back to this thought for you. We'll teach this next week in depth. But when it says the church, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Many people assume what that means is hell is trying to come against us and hell can't overcome. But when Jesus says the gates of hell won't prevail, the assumption is, is we're on the offense and the devil's on the defense because gates are defensive. They hold you back. And so what he's saying is, Jesus is saying the church will go so strong in the world that the gates of hell could never hold them back from getting the people that need to be in the body of Christ. It's a different way to think about the kingdom for sure. Here's what we said last week, but I gave you a worksheet. You can write it down. The word build means to build a house and to build it on a foundation and to restore by building. When Jesus thinks church, he's not just thinking a group of people sitting around just chit-chatting over coffee. He literally is thinking when he says build that he's building a structure. He's building a group of people that will uh, you know, be seen as a house of people, a foundation of people. And then he used this word church, the ecclesia, or ecclesia, however you pronounce it, ecclesia is the right way. A gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place. Now this becomes challenging for our generation because our generation is like, I'm sick of church, I'm sick of the building, it's just religion, we should go back to the book of Acts and do home church. They did it in their houses. But the reason Christians met in houses is because it was a brand new religion. The Jews had temples to meet in 
and the Greeks had temples to worship their gods in. So they had a temple to Artemis, a temple to Zeus, a temple to Athena, whoever the god was. Towns would have temples set up where people could come, bring their offerings, bring their sacrifices if you were a Greek. If you were a Jew, you brought your offerings, you brought your sacrifices to the priest, to the temple. And if you were a Greek, you came to the temple. But when Christianity starts, it's brand new. There's never been a religion uh, around Jesus Christ. It was a brand new thing. So they had no buildings. They had nowhere they could go to meet. Uh, they, they couldn't take over the temple because it was still Jewish. They couldn't go into the temple of, of Diana because it was to another god. So what Christians had to do is, hey, you want to meet at my house? My house will be the place we publicly gather. My house will be the place that we get everybody together. Well, if you do that long enough and the church multiplies and we were not to do it privately, but we were to be like the others in public because the enemy's camp was public, there's the temple of the foreign God, and it was a very public thing. Jesus said, my group, my family, my church is going to be public as well. So it was never intended just to be in your home with two or three people. It was to be in your face, in the public, in a city known by people that that is where the people of God worship. That is where their God is known, and that is where His power is known in the public gathering. The word He picked, ecclesia, was an assembly later to be known to gather together to worship Jesus. Have we blown that? Perhaps. Have we turned this idea of being in public to meet together as followers into just a Sunday service, into our denominational preferences? Yes. But we cannot throw the idea out because we think we've turned it into religion. We have to go back and ask, how can we gather together from coming out from our homes into a public place, 2981 Bomar Road, to gather to meet together for God so that His power can be known. So here's the question. If Jesus is taking me out of the world and He's repositioning me, I, I labeled the green box, the church, which is a revived position. God is trying to position us in His body then, then what does is, what is the repositioning look like? And I want to run through four things and then we'll pray over it. This is the first thought, Colossians 1. For He, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. So when you talk about being born again, you have to talk about it that you're talking about a transfer of kingdoms. He's going to take the lost person out of one kingdom and revive them through being born again and bring them into another kingdom. So when we talk about the church, I know it's easy for us to say Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, whatever denomination, and whatever time we meet on Sunday. But when we talk church the way Jesus would, would view it, you, he would talk about it in a way that you're talking about a kingdom. And because of that kingdom, you're, it's going to be about a new government. That when you're talking about the church, this thing we call church, it is to bring us to a place to be under the government of God. Not just the government of a man and a woman, 
but the government of God. I did a whole teaching on the kingdom of God, God's government. Well, the church was to be governed differently than anything else in the world. The church was to be under the laws of God, whatever God said, whatever His wisdom was, what it, the, the way God saw it, we were to come under that governing factor. Even as we go through it, we see that the government of God is set up with authorities, with elders, with deacons, with people that are inside this government. Number two, 1 John 3. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So the next thing is that God's church is a family. And God wants you to be positioned in the family, and that family is that there are new expectations on you. So the moment you come into the church to think, well, I think I'll just keep living my own way, no. I think I'll just live however I want to live, no. Well, you have to love me anyway. Oh, yeah, I love you, but there are expectations upon us. You can't just keep sinning. You can't just live any way you want to. Now, if you want to do that, just leave the church and go do it. Even Jesus says you, you need to make your mind up. You don't need to have a half foot in and a half foot out. You need to either get in and get out. But what happens is we want the box of this thing called religion to do it our way and we want to set our own rules, government, and we want to live our own way and demand that you love me and don't judge me. So there's something very strange. It's not talked about a lot, but we have every right to judge you in this building because we're the body of Christ. We have every right to say, you cannot live that way. You cannot do it. Now, I know out here in the world, YOLO, you do you. But in here, you don't do you. We do us. The weak take care of the, the, the strong, take care of the weak. We comfort one another. We help one another. We hold each other accountable. We push each other higher. We get in your face and say, you can't live that way. That's not the way we live in the body of Christ. There are expectations on us. And yet this thing called the church today and the way Jesus is going to set up is so foreign to people. Because what we want is we want to come out of the world into this little thing called religion and church and, and make this God do anything I want this God to do for me. And really, it's like, okay, yeah, but uh, no, that's not the way it works. So it becomes a challenge. The next one is this. John chapter 8, Jesus, verse 41. No talking to the Jews. He says, no, you're imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I've come to you from God and I've not been here on my own, but he sent me. The third thing of the church is it has a father. And that father has a purpose on your life. So to come and say, well, I'm a Christian, but I live my own way. I'm a Christian, but I do whatever I want to do. I set my own rules. 
I'll give if I want to give. I'll forgive if I want to forgive. I'll cuss if I want to cuss. I'll drink if I want to drink. I'll, I'm going to do me. And then what I want to come in and what I want when I come in is I want God to help me do my purpose. I want him to bless my business and give me money and fix my stuff and help me achieve my dreams and get me in college and fix my marriage. And the, the essence of the church is no, no, and no, and no. That's counseling. The church is, he has a purpose on you. And it's not you telling him what your purpose is and asking him to bless your purpose. You come into this new family, you come into this new government, and, he, and you're like, yes, sir, Mark Evans reporting for orders, sir. Where do you want me to serve? What do you want me to do? Wherever you want to position me. And then he says to my dad, he says, when dad was in the Navy, well, Gene, you're going to go on this ship, and this ship is stationed in Pearl Harbor. And my, it would have been very comical for my dad to go, look, I wanted to be in the Navy. I don't want to be on that ship in Pearl Harbor. And they're going to be like, well, son, too late. You've already signed up. Hey, could you take just a little off the sides? Yeah, all of it. And just... But... The funny thing is, is that we expect that everywhere else but the church. The, the way a restaurant runs, the expectations that you have on the food and the waiters and the purpose of the restaurant. But come to church and we just ought to want, we all just want to be us. And then wonder why it never works. Wonder why churches split all the time. Wonder why we can't grow old together. Wonder why we have to hop churches and find new places and get our feelings hurt and then try to blame the preacher, blame the people, blame whoever, blame somebody didn't call me, blame because it, we don't want to be under a new government. We don't want to have expectations. We don't want to have a purpose beyond. So it becomes difficult. I often say we should be able to grow old together. I would love to grow old together, but the fact that we're humans and we can try to work it out and work through our differences and, and, and then how do we pull that off? Who's really in charge? What's really going on here? And then the final one is this. So Christ has truly set us free, Galatians 5.1. Jesus says that of himself. If the Son sets you free, you're truly free. Now, I love this though, make sure you stay free. That means that we can mess it up. That means that everything Jesus can do for us, we humans can mess it all up. And almost every revival, I, I, I would say every, but I've not seen them all, but the ones I've looked at, every revival starts out with a wham, bam, this is incredible, and most of them end with a split, a church that split, people that got mad, something happened they didn't agree with. Because it's, very, it's fun to say we're truly free, but it's hard to stay free. Because people get in the way, flesh gets in the way, irritations get in the way, personalities get in the way. And it's hard to stay in that freedom. But this is the fourth one. Is that the church, there's an expectation of freedom. And that means that you need to be producing results. So that when we say revival, what we're saying is, is that God is bringing people from the world, from their expectations, from their purposes, and from their results. 
and he's putting us into his government, his expectation, his purposes, and his results. And the reason we need teachers and, I, and the fivefold is somebody has to stand around and teach us, well, what is the government? And what is the expectations? And what are the purposes on our life? And what are the results that God should be expecting out of us? Like somebody has to teach that. Even on the day of Pentecost, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody's like, oh, they're drunk. No, they're not. Yeah, they're drunk. Crazy bunch of people. I don't even know what's going on, right? That was going on. But even in that moment, at least Peter was mature enough to say, well, wait, I won't speak in tongues. I'm going to speak, I'm assuming Aramaic, and tie this back to Joel. This that you see, that you think's drunk, is that back there in Joel happening right in front of your eyes. So on the day of Pentecost, everybody comes dumping in. 3,000 people dump in. Now, how many of you know we could say that's revival? 3,000 brand new people get dumped into a religion that has never been. Jews get dumped into it and think everybody's got to get circumcised. Greeks get dumped into it and go, we have no idea what we're doing, but it's another God, let's go for it. They all get shaken up in a bag. And some of them have idols and some of them get circumcised and some of them can't eat meat and some of them can and some of them can't have blood and some of them can't have tattoos and some of them have idols in their house and God dumps them all in this thing and He doesn't just say, now just get along with each other. He puts people in to say, let me teach you this new government. Let me teach you these expectations. Let me teach you the purposes on your life now. And let me show you the results I expect out of everybody that calls me Lord. Now, the book of Acts is what we call revival. It's fun. 3,000 added. 5,000 added. It's exploding. We're turning the city upside down. Demons are coming out of people. But that's one book of the Bible. Every other book from the book of Acts is some dude named Paul some person named Peter or John or James trying to teach us about the government, the expectations, the purpose and the results so that it can continue forward and we can all get along with each other and do what God wants us to do. So when people say, well, I think we should just go back to the Gospels and just do the teachings of Jesus, I'm like, yeah, that's great. But the reason Jesus came was to build a church. So we can talk about Jesus loving us all day long, but at the end, He said, I've come to build my church. So even the gospel Jesus is trying to build a church, and to build a church, He's like, therefore, new government, new purposes, new expectations. Now, I would ask now, do we really want revival? Because I don't know if I want all this pressure. I just want Jesus to love me, and I want to love Him back. I don't want to be under some government of God. I don't want to have expectations. I'm going to tell you this, not Sunday, and the reason I'm telling you is I think you're mature-er than than people who would come on Sunday, maybe. (laughs) I never know. But I often say to everybody on Sunday... I don't look at the money. I let Dad and Michael and Phil handle that. Like, that's, that's just not even on my plate. I, I just, I want to love people. I tell them I want to love people and study the Bible. That's what I tell them. I say, if I need to get involved, 
get me involved. I don't mind. I can, I can bring whatever wisdom. But I asked last week, Michael, I said, hey, would you just run me a list of all the givers, everybody, everybody in the church that gives, because I want to pray over them. I, I just want to bless them. I just want to know, you know, not, I don't need to know amounts. I don't want to know what they give. Just people, print a list of everybody in 2023. And then just highlight givers because I just want to bless them. So he prints it off. And I just as honest as I be, I was just blown away shocked. Because I'm like, my God, how many people come here that don't give a thing? A thing. A dollar? Two? Five? I wasn't mad at anybody. I was just thinking, what, what's going on that... Should we talk about offerings? No, I feel like I'm not supposed to, so what do we do? And then you start going, well, why? Why would we come to the house of God, expect Nessa to have the kids, expect Jennifer to have the children, expect Michael to have the music, expect whoever's in the pulpit to have studied and prepared, and then come in and then eat the bread and drink the communion, amen, walk out the door, burp spiritually, and give nothing? Can you get away with that at Johnny's? At Longhorn? Can you go anywhere in the world and just sit at the buffet and fill yourself up and give a good burp and thumb up everybody? Thanks for cooking that chicken. That was awesome. Goodbye. No, they have a government. They have expectations. It's, it's called what it costs. They have people in the kitchen that are trying their best to help you. And they want good results because they ask you to fill this survey out when we're done. And I say that not to be mad at anybody. I'm not hurt. I'm not upset. I just was shocked. Like, I just, I even made this comment. I thought, I just assumed, this is my naivety, I just assumed that if you were a Christian, you were a giver. Like that's, if you're saved, you would give. Even just 50 cents. It's not even about an amount. It's just about a heart. I'm just going to give God something. So if you like that, great. If you don't, I'm sorry. I was still shocked. <laughs> but I will say, how about trying this? Every time you come in the door, bring something. Bring a dollar. Bring a quarter. Bring 50 cents. Trust me, it's there. If you, if you take God at His word, He'll make sure you get the seed. So, I don't know why I said that, but I, I, I do. I said it because nobody wants to say their expectations on us. Christians are to be givers. You, their expectations, you're supposed to show up and sing loud. You're supposed to serve His house. Like the, It doesn't feel good we, because what we want is to make everybody happy and, and not have this because this stings. And I, I believe that maybe why we don't see revival is I don't want to deal with the sting. Here's the final thought. Michael can come on up and get ready. I'll dig this out next week, but it'll hopefully inspire you. Paul says this in Corinthians 5, I can hardly believe the report about sexual immorality going on among you. So he's talking to a church, the Corinthians church. He says, there's such sex in you that pagans don't even do what y'all are doing. He said, I have been told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. So a, a boy's having sex with his stepmom in the church. 
And Paul said, you're so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning and sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. My God, would anybody be in church today? If we held to the fact that your sinful behavior, that you won't quit, don't come back here. They'd be like, that's the meanest church. They just think they're so religious. What, they think they're better than everybody else? I don't know, but that's what I mean by, obviously the way the early apostles thought about the church is far different than how we think about it. Somewhere we've gotten sloppy with this thing called church and revival. It gets worse. Verse 4. In the name of the Lord Jesus, you should call a meeting in your church. I will be present with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus. And then you got to throw this man out. I'd love to have been at that meeting. But don't just throw him out because you're mean-spirited people or because you think you're better than him. Throw him out because he's not under the government, the expectation or the purposes or the results that I want in my body. But here's, here's the thought. It's not that he gets booted out and can't be part of the club that challenges me. That's almost any club. If you don't show up to practice, they kick you off a football team. If you don't show up to work, they kick you off work. If you go AWOL in the army, you're in trouble. It's everywhere. That doesn't bother me. People kick people out. What bothers me is this phrase, and turn him over to Satan so that his soul may be saved and his flesh destroyed. What it tells me is that when we're in the government expectation and purposes of God, there is a protection from the world and the power of the devil. This is my belief. I'll teach it, but I'm going to throw the belief to you. I believe when you're planted in the house where God wants you, with the family God wants you to be a part of, in the government and under the government of God, Lucifer has no claim on you. If he claims you, he's trespassing, and you can throw your shoulders back and go, you are trespassing on God's property. I am the property of the Lord God Almighty. I'm his son, and I'm his daughter, and I command you in the authority of Jesus to take your hands off of God's property. So when you come into the church, there's an expectation that God's power is covering us. 